Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 3. That's where we are today, Joshua chapter 3. In fact, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, a lot of biblical ground. I encourage you to have a Bible open so that you can follow along. We're going to hit the highlights of chapters 3, 4, and 5 of the book of Joshua. And here's the key concept this morning. The Lord will do amazing things. Joshua makes that promise to the children of Israel. And that promise rings down the ages to us. The Lord will do amazing things. In the scripture that we'll look at today, the children of Israel will cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Their feet will touch the promised land, the land that they have been journeying towards for the last 40 years. But in order for that to take place, they need to trust the instructions that God will give, and they need to act on that trust even when the instructions that they are hearing seem not to make sense. But they need to follow by faith. I was thinking about this week, that, this, this week and it reminded me of a story about a note left by a man named Desert Pete. Let me set the scene for you. There's a desert trail. For miles, the only source of water on this desert trail is a hand pump. And when you get to that hand pump, uh, you'll find a note. And, and the note explains how you can get water. It's written by a man named Desert Pete. And this is what he says. He says, this pump works fine, but it has to be primed with water before it will begin to draw. There's a bottle buried under the white rock out of the sun. It has just enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink any of it. Pour half of the bottle into the pump, let it soak in, then pour the second half in and pump like crazy. You're going to have plenty of water, drink your fill, fill up the jar, and leave it for the next guy. Signed, Desert Pete. The question is this, do you trust the note? For all you know, Desert Pete is a lunatic. For all you know, that bottle, that jar of water is the only source of water that's truly there. You don't know anything about Desert Pete. Do you, do you trust that note in that situation? The children of Israel are in a situation where they're going to get instructions from God which seem a little bit untrustworthy. But they know him. They have seen the Lord work. They know that he is for them. And they are, he is able to do miracles. And they're going to be called to trust what seems not to really make sense. 
in order to get into the promised land. They're standing at the banks of the Jordan River. Now, ordinarily, the Jordan River is not much of a river. Every time we go to Israel and we lead groups there, I always hear uh, uh, voices of, you know, kind of disappointment when they see the Jordan. It's not like the mighty Mississippi. For the most part, it looks very narrow and, and small. But it just so happens that the Lord brought the children of Israel to the bank of the, of the Jordan in the time of the, of the, of the flood time, in, in flood stage. In other words, the runoff from the mountains is great in the moment that they are there. It was probably about a mile wide, 12 feet deep and running very swiftly. The children of Israel have been camped on the east side of the Jordan for some time. And they've had plenty of time to ask the question that they must ask. And the question is, how are we going to get across this river? Are we meant to build bridges? Are we meant to build boats? How is this going to happen? We can't possibly swim this. What about the elderly? What about the children and the herds? How are we going to get from here to there? That's the question. What are we supposed to do? And the answer comes... You should do what God tells you to do. But first, get ready. Chapter uh, 3, verse 5, Joshua speaks to the people and he says this. He says this. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, waters, go and stand in the river. The thing about following the Lord and being a follower of the Lord is that the Lord usually leads us a step at a time. He usually shows his hand one card at a time and directs us one moment at a time, one day at a time. And he asks us to say yes to that next step of faith before he shows us what comes after. At this point, the children of Israel didn't exactly know what was going to come after. All they knew was that the priests were meant to carry the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them and step into the waters of the Jordan. Now, what is unusual about this is that it's not, that is not the usual marching order when they would move. It was not that the priests carry the Ark in the front. But in this situation, symbolically, the Ark of the Covenant is representing the presence of God and they are asked to follow God, to follow what the Lord is doing and to be ready for what he will do next. Even though they didn't know exactly what was happening, the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant in and wade into the waters, and the people were to follow on. And I see a principle there, something that I think that, that we, we, we need to be reminded of from time to time, and that is this. Never give up on what you know because of what you don't know. They know a lot about God. They've seen him work. They've seen his miracles. They've seen his power. They know that he is able. They know that he is for them. Don't give up on what you know because of what you don't know. They don't know exactly what's going to come next. But they do know that God is for them. 
They do know of God's past help. So don't abandon what you know because of the mysteries that are out there. And maybe that's just where you are right now. Maybe there's things about your life that are unclear about what's going to come next. Maybe there are obstacles and barriers that are before you and you're not exactly sure how you're going to navigate them. The message is always the same. Obey what you know and trust God for the rest. They don't know exactly what God's going to do, but Joshua has told them this in verse 5. It's going to be amazing. So prepare yourselves. Joshua specifically says, consecrate yourselves. What that means in their situation is wash yourself on the outside, and on the inside, prepare yourselves through repentance and prayer, dedicating yourself to obey whatever God has for you. And that's exactly what they do. The message is be ready. Because God's going to do something amazing and he wants you ready to receive it. And so we don't hear God actually speak to Joshua, the total plan that's before them. But, but God must explain it to Joshua because by, by uh, verse 13 of, of chapter 3, uh, um, Joshua is explaining it to the people. Here's Joshua speaking in verse 13. He says, As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. In other words, God is going to bring you into the land through a miracle. It's going to be through on dry ground you're going to cross this Jordan River. That's the answer to the how. God's going to do it. Everyone else, everyone in this generation, this current generation, had missed the miracle at the Red Sea. Only Caleb and Joshua, only two people had seen God do this sort of miracle before when the children of Israel escaped Egypt. But now God's doing it again before this new generation so that God says to Joshua, so that you will be exalted in their eyes just like Moses was. You see, I can imagine some of the people in the nation kind of saying, well, I'm not quite sure about this Joshua guy yet. You know, he seems to be good, but he's no Moses. But God says, no, I I want them to be willing to follow you, and they're going to see a miracle, and it's going to be something that enables you to have leadership in this land. God is going to do it again, and God is going to do it at flood stage. That's, That's an aspect of this story that's striking to me. Why is God doing it at flood stage? He could have brought him here any time of the year. But when the river is at its widest and at its swiftest, this is when he brings them to cross. And there's two reasons why God's doing it at flood stage. Reason number one, because it's the most impressive demonstration of his power. And he wants the children of Israel to see that no obstacle can be in his way. But number two, there's another reason that's hinted at in verse 15. The beginning of verse 15 says this. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. In other words, it was harvest time. God is demonstrating his power, but he's also demonstrating his ability to provide for the nation. The children of Israel are going to get into the promised land, and God knows something that they don't know yet, and that is that the manna that they have been living on for the last 40 years that has been their sustenance, the manna is going to stop. And so he's bringing them into the land at the very moment when the crops are in, the harvest is in, food is plentiful, so that they will be able to live off the produce of the land. And I want you to see here how God takes care of all the details. 
how there's no loose end here for the children of Israel. Not only will they go in in power, but God is going to provide for them. He has all the bases covered. And they're called simply to experience the impossible. Look at verse 17. Here it happens. The priests, chapter 3, verse 17, the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. They were able to cross over what seemed to be an impossible barrier. I can imagine the lookouts from the city of Jericho, those spies who must have been there kind of just checking up on what the Israelites were doing across the river. I can imagine them looking at this scene with wide eyes. I can imagine them running back to the city of Jericho with horror in their voices saying, listen, everything we heard about these people is true. God is working on their side. They have just walked across the river on dry ground. No wonder by the time we get to chapter 6, it says Jericho is shut up for fear. The fear of the Jews. Now the question is, as we read a story like that, this miraculous, wonderful story, how do we apply it? You know, it's tempting to say, well, I'm going to claim my crossing. Whatever it is, whatever barrier is before me, I'm just going to claim it. God wants me to go through, I'm just going to claim it. And the temptation there, the danger there, is that we actually take our will and, and force God somehow to, to, to obey our will rather than follow His will. I want you to remember that this is a point in time with a particular people at a particular moment, and God is getting them through that river in a miraculous way. And if we, if we, we can't always just claim the details of all these Bible stories. It may be that God wants you to cross through that barrier in a miraculous way, but it also may be figuratively He wants you to swim a little while. Or he wants you to wade into the waters a little while. I'm not very sure. It may be that where you think you want to go, God God knows you can't be there. The point of it is not to say, I'm going to get my will and claim it from God, but rather to say, what is God's will? What does he want? Because what he wants is what I really need. And I know that because he loves me. We ask the question, what does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about his will? And what it teaches me about the God who never changes is God works for the protection of his people. That God works according to his own purposes, according to his own plan, at his own timing. And we are called to consecrate ourselves. We are called to be ready to say yes to the will of God when it comes. This crossing proves his power and his provision. And we learn from it, we can trust God too for whatever happens. So the children of Israel experience what seems to be impossible. And then they're called upon to remember the experience, to remember the wonderful. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along as I read. It says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them uh, over with you and put them down at the place where you are staying tonight. And turn over to verse 20 and we see that happen. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? 
Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples on the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God directs Joshua in a, in a way that is looking down to the next generation. And he's saying, you know, there could, be, there could be a time when a future generation doubts the miracle that happened here today. Or there could be a time that a future generation forgets the miracle that happened here today. And so we want to provide a tangible reminder that you can use to tell the story. You see, God knows that our spiritual memories are short we need tangible things. We humans need tangible things to, to, to remind us to remember the wonderful works that God does. Someday, somebody's going to come along, and since stones don't stack themselves, they're going to say, what do these stones mean? Why are these stones here? And that will give an opportunity to tell the story of God's blessing. They'll be able to remember what God has done. It's important to have a tangible way to tell the story about what God has done. It's important for you, parents, to, to tell the story about what, it, what God has done to your children and to your grandchildren. To have something that is a reminder. Sometimes maybe it's a family Bible where we, we put the, 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 the memories or the pictures or the mementos, whatever it is, but something tangible, something real, and to tell the story over and over, to pass it on so that there can be that, uh, that identifying factor that I am part of this. God did this for me and my family, for my parents and my grandparents. Memorial stones tell the story and pass it on. Now, there's an interpretive question in verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9 uh, is kind of a mystery for a lot of folks. And I want to show you this because probably here in the room we have a number of different translations in English of our Bible. I'm reading from the New International Translation, and it says this. Follow along your own translation. It says, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. Now, I want you to notice, if you have a different version, let's say you have the New American Standard Version, or if you have the English Standard Version, I want you to see that the ver words, that had been, are not in your translation. And the reason for that is because they're not in the Hebrew. The NIV has stopped translating here and has started interpreting for us. And the interpretive question is, are there two piles? Are there two memorial stones or just one? The Hebrew of verse 9 leads us to believe that not only did they have a, a, a memorial pile of stones that was visible to the humans at Gilgal, but also there was a memorial pile of stones in the riverbed that Joshua himself created and that the waters covered over visible to God. It's an open question, but we know for sure that the Hebrew does not have those words that NIV inserts. And so some of your translations lead us to believe there's, there's two memorial stones, one visible to humans, one visible to God in that place where he performed the miracle. When we get to heaven, we'll check that out, okay? 
Till then, it will be a miracle. But we have to understand, that, and this is why we read in a number of different versions, so that we can see what the differences might be. But it must have been a surreal moment. Look at verse 18. Because by the time we get to 18, the stones are up, the people are through, and it says, And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Amazing. Can you imagine being one of the Israelites who have just walked across uh, that dry land, that dry path, and look back and now see the water in full force once again? Thus far in this wonderful story, we pick up a few lessons. Lesson number one is wait in readiness for what God will do and prepare yourselves to say yes to his will. Secondly, follow in faith and you'll need to step out and you'll need to take a step, but follow in faith. Number three, honor God in reverence. Don't take credit for what God has done in your life. Can you imagine the Israelites if they said, boy, we really did a good job with that river, didn't we? No, no. Don't take for you pile up some stones and remember this is what God has done and you tell the story in reverence about what God has done. So far, so good. And look at the reaction to the uh, kings of the cities in the land. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now when the Amorite kings of the, uh, west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings all along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites Uh, Until we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Here's the scene we get. We almost get the impression that there was starting to take place some talk about the, 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 the cities of the land attacking the Israelites as they first come over. But God caused them to be immobilized with fear. And it's a good reason, that, I mean, it's a good thing that God caused them to be immobilized with fear because the armies of Israel were not going to be ready anytime soon. Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. You see, we are a get-on-with-it generation. We like to do things and do things fast. But God knew that the armies of Israel had to pause there at Gilgal because they had neglected something for 40 years that was part of the covenant relationship. The symbol of the covenant relationship between God and his chosen people Israel was the circumcision of the males. And this generation that grew up in the wilderness had not participated in that. And so even though it was a painful pause, it was an important pause and they, they stopped and they, they made sure that that was no longer ignored and they did what they needed to do. But God protected them during that time. And there's something else that happened in that time which is a little more positive and that is that Passover season came. So look at verse 10 of chapter 5. It says, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. They celebrate the Passover, they remember the miracle that was done for the generation that was prior, and they have seen a miracle for themselves, and now they rejoice, and the manna stops. In other words, you're home. You don't need the manna anymore. That was traveling food. You're not going to travel. Now you're home. All this wonderful 
news is happening as the children of Israel cross into the land. And after all that, was, that is so wonderful, something very weird takes place. And it's the rest of chapter 5. Because you get the scene that, you know, Joshua was of the previous generation. While all the other uh, Israelite males were circumcised, Joshua was doing fine. And so you, you get the impression that at one day he goes, he goes over and starts looking at Jericho, starting to contemplate what comes next and how he's going to do battle against the against this city. And while he's having those thoughts, uh, a strange visitor comes. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come come now. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now in the Bible we have a lot of situations of strange encounters, but this is one of the strangest. Who is this guy, the commander of the Lord's army? Here's a few things we know that's not happening. He's not imaginary. It's a real encounter. Secondly, I don't think he's an angel. And the reason I don't think he's an angel is because he accepts Joshua's worship as he bows down before him. Now, if we look and fast forward to Revelation chapter 19, the apostle John is before an angel, and he's so impressed by the angel that he falls down to worship, and the angel says, do not do that. Get up, don't worship me. Worship goes only to God. But this being accepts the worship. And thirdly, we know he's not a human. So what is going on here? It seems to me that what we see here is a manifestation of God himself. Possibly God the Son in his pre-incarnate form. And he's, he's doing exactly what he said he would do, as I was with, uh, with Moses, so I will be with you. He mimics kind of that burning bush situation where he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. But really the most important part of it is the way that he identifies himself. I am the commander of the Lord's armies. You see, Joshua is looking out over Jericho. He's thinking about his armies that are healing and he's thinking about what is coming next, and his mind is filled with the reality of two armies and the battle that's before him. But this visit um, brings to mind the fact that there actually are three armies involved. The one army is invisible, but it's always there. And that invisible army is invincible. Now, Joshua kind of betrays the fact that he's really not in tune with things by the question that he asks. He asks, are you for us or for our enemies? And that's why he gets such a weird answer. The answer is, I'm for neither. That that strikes me as funny. How about you? Wouldn't you think that Joshua would say, well, listen, we're the good guys. You should be for us. But the answer is neither. And the reason the answer is neither is because the commander of the Lord's armies is saying, Joshua, that's not the right question. The right question is not, is God on my side? The right question is, to quote Abraham Lincoln, Are we on the side of God? That's the right question. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we on the the side? Are we for the will of God, doing what he's called us to do? And the, the, the point is, this third army is ready and able and a reminder that there is a spiritual struggle that's going on even while we see just the physical. 
And the spiritual struggle is just as real today as it was going on in Joshua's day. Every single person in this room right now is in, in, in the midst of spiritual warfare, whether you know that or not. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, not me, because you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't even believe. I'm just checking you people out. Or maybe I'm here just trying to impress my girlfriend. There is a battle for your soul going on right now. Don't doubt it. Spiritual warfare is real for every one of us, a battle for, for our soul. And the battle appears differently for each of us because we're in different places. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it may be a battle for your marriage or it may be a battle for your purity or it may be a battle for your sobriety or, or for your honesty in business, whatever it is. But the battle is real. But this reminds us there is forces on your side. There are forces that want to work in your life for what God wants to accomplish in your life. But the struggle is real. The Bible doesn't say ignore the devil and he'll flee from you. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And part of the resistance is understanding the struggle. Don't pretend there's no war. Don't paper over the battle. But remember who's on your side. Promised land living calls for a radical trust. That God wants to get a hold of us to accomplish His will. And our best strategy against any barrier that Satan throws up in our lives is to remember who we're serving and stand in readiness to obey. Because nothing is sovereign in this world against God, There's, uh, except God. There is no difficulty that you face in life that God can't overcome His way. No despair can slip into your life that He can't triumph over. He alone possesses all power and He deserves all praise all by Himself. And He fights in your life for the will He has for you. And you're never alone in the struggle, even though sometimes it feels that way. The army of God is always around. And the commander of the Lord's army is watching over. And so as we go through life, we, like Joshua, are always on holy ground. God doesn't call you always to walk around barefoot, but he wants you to remember he's always with you. And the battle is real, so you can turn to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a will and a way for us. Forgive us for the times that the thing we claim from you is really just our idea. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to be ready. Help us to consecrate ourselves and to say yes, even to the amazing things that you want to do. Lord, thank you that what you will do in our lives is always born out of love because you know exactly what's ahead. You see the future that we don't. So, Lord, we trust you step by step, day by day, moment by moment, and we say yes and amen to your will. Thank you in advance. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The army, the army of the Lord is continuing to fight even today. And if you know that in your own life, just say amen. Amen.
just a moment, we're going to be leaving this place, but maybe you're here standing in the need of prayer. Always we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table, and they will be happy to meet you as you're going through that storm, as you're facing those trials, they can bring you to the throne of grace. Don't carry your burden out. They will help you to lay it down. But first, let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have a will and a way for us. Thank you that there's a plan. Help us to follow it. Enable us to say yes and amen to your direction and your will. Show us this week how we can serve you to bring you glory. And that's what we want to do. So dismiss us with your blessings, we pray. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.